The Sports Career Podcast, episode 331. Four ways to develop your sales skills with the right attitude, data, handling with rejection, and being cheeky. Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. Or if you're a loyal listener, I'm grateful for your support every week listening to the show. I'm your host, Ed Bowers, and this week's podcast is a sales masterclass focusing on the four ways where you can improve your sales skills with the right attitude, data, handling rejection, and being a little bit cheeky. In this episode, you're going to learn from Bob Harmer, who's the president and founder of SBS Consulting, Fiona Green, the founder of CEOs at Winners, Daniel Bernard, the founder and chairman of board at Redwood International Sports, and Lauren Tickner, who is the founder and CEO at Impact School. At the end of this episode, from this masterclass, you will have a better understanding how to elevate your sales skills in the sports industry, but most importantly, have the ability to sell yourself with regards to how you apply yourself in the sports industry too. Have a listen and enjoy. Core skills do you need to work in sales in the sports industry? The the keys to, to work in sales, you know, I'll use myself as an example because um, I've had a little bit of success uh, in, in the sports sales world. On the team side, you know, I, I waited tables in college. Um, I enjoyed meeting new people. I was outgoing. I was hardworking. I was a former athlete, so I think former athletes tend to do really well in sales. They're uh, they're coachable. They're results oriented. They're hardworking. Um, you know, I'd say the skills to succeed in sales. You know, a lot of people don't think like, hey, I can't wait to get into sales. So they're not thinking that. But a lot of them have the intangibles to do it. And when I say the intangibles, when I was hiring at the entry level for sales positions, you didn't necessarily need to have five years of sales experience. It wasn't necessary. I could teach you how to sell, but you can't teach some of the uh, just the intangibles that people have. And those are um, you got to be hardworking. It's a numbers game. It's a volume play. It's a lot of phone work. You got to be willing and outgoing and meeting strangers and new people. You got to have perseverance because you're going to deal with rejection all day, every day. Um, you got to have a positive attitude. Um, if you're not excited about what you're doing, it's not going to translate when you're on the phones or you're meeting with customers. You got to be coachable. You know, it's it's a skill that requires some some practice over time, um, and you got to be willing to sort of adjust and try to get better. Uh, every day, but it's a very simple formula. If you're working really hard and making a lot of calls, if you're bringing a positive attitude to work, if you're able to deal with the rejection and you're trying to get better every day, um, it's going to lead to results. But my number one tip when it comes to sales, and don't forget, 
I started selling back in the day when you were cold calling on the phone. I mean, I used to be handed the yellow pages back in the day or a new newspaper with a list of telephone numbers and told, ring these companies. And the one thing I used to tell myself is they cannot reach down the phone and physically punch me. All they could do is say no. And if I can handle the no, I can get through this. And with that awareness, something a, a great boss once said to me, is don't be afraid of the no's because they get you one step closer to the yes. So firstly, an awareness that all they're going to do is hurt your pride or your ego or whatever it is by saying no, they're not going to physically hurt you. And secondly, be positive about the no's because you're learning from them and they're getting you one step closer to a yes. Wow, I hope the listeners are taking notes. And my final question from with regards to this sector of our conversation, I'm really intrigued from our last conversation back in 2018 to now, what has been your career growth with regards to the work you're currently doing or in general? So um, I guess, obviously, I've not taken a change in career, but because I'm fortunate enough to be working in this world of data and data by nature is driven by technology and technology is continuously evolving then my career growth has just been to continue my own learning path of understanding more about what data can do, where do we generate it from, how do we handle it, how do we use it, how do we manage it. In terms of isolated growth curves, I mean, Christ, somebody mentioned to me the other day non-fungible tokens. So, of course, the first thing I did was Google it. And so, you know, my, my growth is continuous, but it's within my field. I now know what, what the term NFT, non-fungible tokens, means, but my growth comes in understanding how that's going to empower the way we use data, the way we secure it, the way we optimize it. And finally, with regards to data, and the reason why I said the word mistake, from my experience when I was starting my podcast show, I was going with gut. I think my listeners would enjoy this. I think <laughs> So my, my question to you is from your experience from your book and also your business experience, how has data helped you and your business make better decisions? So firstly, that's a really, I'm going to go back to the first thing you started with, because that's a really good point. Data replaces gut in a way, because once you've got data, you've got the truth, you've got the, the actual situation, but it doesn't replace the entire need for gut. So you've got a skill, Ed, you've got experience, you've got knowledge. So what we do is we take the data as the foundation and then we layer it with our gut, our knowledge, our experience. And by the way, it doesn't always mean we follow what the data tell us tells us sometimes we still follow a different path because there are other reasons that the data isn't aware of um, but we use that data for a foundation but on to your second question about how has it helped my business I don't know how to um, describe this other than to say when it comes to winners we don't do what we say <laughs> so when we give advice to our clients we give the best advice in the world we don't always apply it and um, to winners it's a bit like um the best hairdresser in the world obviously often has the worst haircut, but it definitely helps our clients. So our role is to go in and to help. For example, if we had started working with you back in the day, we could have just saved you a bit of time by not having to go through that painful learning curve yourself of looking through all your stats and going, oh, shoot, I should have done it a different way. So our role is to come in whatever stage you're at to immediately improve whatever you're doing. So firstly, we're looking for those quick wins, the things that perhaps you haven't looked for, because don't forget, Ed, our job 24-7 is to look at the data. Your job is to put out great content. So our job is to help you understand which of the data points you're generating can help you improve, 
which data points you're missing that we can easily gather for you. And by the way, how do we help you progress? Because what we also want to be doing is future proofing you. We need to be thinking about the next three to five years, not the next three to five podcasts. So that's the way we approach um, the use of data. However, we don't do it for our own business. Um, we're a little bit, we don't have um, sales funnels or CRM pyramids or any of the principles that we talk about. We do have, we're very secure in the processes we use with our clients and the processes we use with our clients' data. But because we're not, um, we're not a massively aggressive business, we don't, we don't talk about the brands that we work with. We don't promote our clients work on our website. We don't have a traditional sales funnel. We place a lot of energy and focus on ensuring our clients do it correctly. Just for any listeners listening in, they want to hear more. Could you just give a little snapshot of what you do at Winners so they can contact you if they would like to hear more, if that makes sense? Thank you, Ed. Yeah. So when you're a rights owner or an organisation that's operating in the sports field, um, you're going to want to either increase revenue, increase participation, or increase engagement generally your business objectives come between those three. And so our role is to help you understand or help you actually use data to achieve all of those. Now we break the principles of, of using data into five key areas, strategy, process, technology, the data itself and culture. So for each of those different areas, we have frameworks or processes to help you. Now that could be something as simple as we're not even sending email campaigns yet. We've got to start emailing our fans to get them to come back and do it again or do it more or do it better. To as advanced as um, providing a personalised experience across our multiple channels so that when someone comes to our website and then follows us on Facebook or has downloaded our app, the messaging, the engagement that they see with us picks up from the last digital touch point. We call it customer journeys making sure that the customer journey across all our digital touch points is the same. And I love this example I heard from a very wise guy at Thunderhead. This is the way he described the importance of a customer journey. And by the way, Ed, feel free to edit this out, but I love it. He says, when you arrange to meet your mate in a coffee shop every Saturday, you sit down with them. You don't go, hello, my name's Fiona. What's your name? How many kids do you have? Where did you go to university? What football team do you support? Every time you go in and meet them on a Saturday afternoon, you say, hey, remember you told me about that film you were going to watch? What did you think about it? By the way, did your kids get the job they were after? Oh, and did you get the point is you pick up on your last conversation with them. And that's exactly where we what we aspire to on our football club website, our event websites. When somebody comes to the website, when somebody um, reads our Facebook post, what we should be doing is continuing the conversation at the last place that we, we stopped with them or they stopped with us. And that's the whole purpose of data, to make sure we get the right message to the right person at the right time and indeed on the right platform. So what's the first step? Is it getting that vision and value set of the company first, then building those other pieces together. You've got me really curious now, but I love your metaphor, but where is the first step that builds that foundation, uh, if that makes sense? Okay, so really understanding, and this is a big mistake I made in my first uh, business that I set up, which was a huge failure. Uh, that was before I moved to Israel, that was in 98. And I learned so much from that. I mean, I got everything wrong. And the major thing I got wrong was I didn't really validate that what I was selling was actually in demand and certainly not the price I was selling. 
it doesn't really matter what the business was. It was activities for children in tourist destinations. It's nothing to do with sport, even though we did sporty stuff as well. But I, I completely didn't validate um, the, the need, the market need. And business is all about meeting a, a, a need from consumers. And I see a lot of startups as well that come from investment. They haven't gone through that validation. They imagine in their mind, like I did when I was 24 with that failure, is that, oh, surely people need this. And then they run ahead and try and build something. And then when it fails, they realize, well, people didn't actually need it, just like I did. So the first thing is just really not, not basically drinking your own Kool-Aid, you know, not uh, listening to your own uh, nonsense in your head, getting it validated and saying, yeah, does the world actually need this? Um, because not every idea is a good idea. And so that's the first thing. And if you've got something that is in demand, then trying to get the relevant pieces in place. So, so what I mean by that is you've got to think, you know, just to use a, a business buzzword, what are the critical success factors, okay? But I, I do like that buzzword because I think every business, you've got to think, what do I need to get absolutely right in this business for it to be a success? And those critical success factors are different in every single business. So if I want to build um, you know, a sports data delivery company like Redwood, I need to gather the right data. That's absolutely critical. I need to process the data correctly and I need to deliver the data correctly. Okay, so I need to hold that data. I need security is a massive part of it. So you think, what are the blocks that are so critical to get right? So you've got to focus on those and put relevant people in charge of those. And so you've got an overall need, the critical success factors, and then your strategy of how to deploy. I think that's an, an overall long answer for, <laughs> for your question. No, it's not. I hope people are taking notes and grateful for that reply. And just tapping into, you know, that new discovery skill of like data and strategy out of interest. How do you look at a piece of data now? Because we're in a world now where everything's data driven. And I'm just curious when I speak to leaders like yourself who have to make big decisions, may I ask how you see a piece of data and then make an effective decision after it? Um, can we use Redwood as a sort of simple example of? Can do for sure. Not just that's cool. Just more how you make decisions through data. If that makes sense. Sure. I mean, the important thing to to realize is that um, data, in some form or another, has been around forever, way before digital digital world. Data is information. So you know, maybe decades ago, I'd rely on my neighbor telling me where the best place to buy shoes. Are. You know, just off the top of my head, think of something. Now that data could be completely rubbish but that was what i had so in a more technological digital world you can go online and check places and then take it to the next level you've got places with reviews from external people so you, are, you get better improved data all the time to know where i can actually buy shoes correctly so but data has been around for, for forever as a basis for making decisions um, and it's just the key thing here is understanding how can i actually get the best data ingested in my decision-making process at the beginning. And in the world of football, let's take football. And this is what really irked me right at the beginning is that so many decisions in a multi-billion dollar business like football are being made um, back in the day, things have improved a long way, of course, are being made on gut feelings, on some agent saying, this is the kid you need to buy. You know, Someone will see someone score two goals in an under 20 World Cup and think he's brilliant, let's $20 million. I mean. It's mad when you think about it. There's no real due diligence here. There's no real use of good data to make a better decision. A club spending $20 million for crying out loud, you know, spend it based on it better information. And that's one of the things that, that Redwood and, and other companies in the space come to provide. And so how do you know that the data is actually better? Because 
you know, the user, if you're selling this to a club, it's like, well, I, I get the data and let's say I believe the marketing blurb of the company, so I get it and I use that. But there's a big difference between data that is statistically viable and data that is basically just information. Be good in sales. So about a year and a half ago, my COO, Noor, she was my operations manager at the time. She came out to Dubai and stayed with me for a couple of weeks. And a couple of days after she was there, she, we sat down at dinner and she just said to me, like, you always push the boat out. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you always stretch your boundaries. Like you try your luck. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, for example, I'll be in a restaurant, right? And I'll like have just some banter with the person on the front of the restaurant. Like I'll, they'll have a table that's reserved in the best spot. And I'll say to them, oh, so you saved the best table for me. I'll say something like that, right? Like an assumptive close. And I didn't know this was an assumptive close at the time. And then they'll be like, oh, we have some people coming. And I'm like, really? So so, so when's it going to be taken? And then they'll be like, oh, like 9 p.m. And I'm like, well, it's only seven. Come on, let's stay here for two hours. And so then they'll just, like, they let you, right? And it's like, I heard one time, I don't remember who said this, but it's like, go into a coffee shop and ask, hey, can I have a free coffee? Just try it. And so I always like to do something every day that's weird. That makes me feel uncomfortable as hell. So whenever I go for a restaurant, I will do something weird. Same thing, like, um, we, there are so many examples I can think of, but it's just like cheeky, just being cheeky and just being able to read the person that you're talking to. And I would say that it's not even really sales. It's just understanding people. And it's interesting because Jordan Peterson, he talks a lot about like the difference between men and women from like a psychology standpoint. And so men are more interested in things and women are more interested in people. How come most men are typically the ones that are good at sales and I think it's because the men that are really good at sales are very interested in people and the women are often afraid to be cheeky whereas men tend to lean more on being a little bit more cheeky like that so in my opinion like it's sales is kind of just about how good can your banter be because when you've got great banter then you can make the other person laugh and they're naturally going to be leaning more into being interested with you now obviously I could get into like all the tactical things to do with sales, like the strategic stuff. But at the end of the day, when you're confident in knowing that what you do works, then you will do whatever it takes to sell that thing. Like I have no issues selling anything related to Impact School or any of the other companies that I'm associated with because I believe in them and I wouldn't put my name behind it if I didn't. And that's why everything we do, we offer a guarantee. And so I think until you're so confident that you can offer a guarantee, like you're not going to be so confident in sales because if you can't sell something with 100% certainty and if you can't literally say, I will guarantee you that I will get you these results, then there's something missing in your system. And then I think that's when it comes down to going back and looking into everything that you're doing and improving that. And obviously that's part of what we do at Impact School. My goodness, I hope you're enjoying these masterclasses as much as I am. I really mean that. Like for me, I love creating them. If this is your first masterclass you listen to, I highly recommend you listen to the other ones. Done one on leadership, sponsorship. But for me, sales is a topic that isn't really discussed enough in the sports industry. We get so connected of like how things are run, like a football club, um, how like operations are done in a business, but we don't go to like 
core skills to be better sales professionals. Um, if that is working for a company or actually we're being a better sales professional in selling ourselves in getting ourselves out there. Um, so for me, this was a it was such a pleasure to create. But just highlighting my notes from this masterclass, from Bob, what hit home to me is having that right attitude and being approachable um, with regards to your communication skills when speaking to people, communicating with people online and in person. With Glass of Fiona, I really enjoyed her little story of like from her boss that when you do receive rejection of that no, you're just one step away or one, your next call will get you close to the yes. And I think when you focus on that as the process, when you hit a no, just focus on the next yes, it just provides that clarity of like not to give up. Um, for me, it's that self-awareness of that rejection is really part of the process. And with regards to Daniel, the biggest takeaway was validation um, for me and also data. Like data, Fiona talked about it as well, but how data we can make better decisions with it. But with regards to the sales side, it's like validation of, is this the right product for a client? Or in Daniel's, like, is this business the right to serve a purpose and solve a problem? Um, for me, it was that reminder of validating from a sales process perspective. And when we sell something, we make sure that product is right for the right person or organization. In, in what Daniel's referring to from a business standpoint. And then with regards to Lauren, I had to finish with some positivity. I believe the cheekiness is important. And when I re-listen to that, it creates that, you know, the area of utilizing humor or like I love her, like her example of challenging herself to get out of her comfort zone um, in an environment to, to, to bargain, to negotiate, even if it's over a coffee, getting it for free or trying to bargain that, um, 9 p.m. Uh, reserve table and sitting there and eating dinner at 7 p.m. It's just that's what sales is, where the uncomfortable we get uncomfortable with sales because we don't like being uncomfortable and it's part of it. And I think that cheekiness for me, that key word being cheeky, it's that's how you build rapport with people when you just be ourselves, be authentic, of course, be professional, like without a doubt with a certain process and all the other things that been discussed of having the right attitude, embracing rejection, having that validation. But I love the cheekiness, what Lauren said, because it's a reminder of getting out of comfort zone, but also building rapport with the people we are serving to, to solve a problem. So I really do hope you've enjoyed this masterclass as much as I have. And this is really important. In the show notes are all four podcast episodes where you can listen to the full podcast of Bob, Fiona, Daniel, Lauren. I highly recommend them. You will learn a lot even more on particular topics with regards to sales, business, and also the power of data and sport. And then finally, look, if you've really enjoyed this masterclass, I'll be super grateful that you can leave an honest review and subscribe to the show. Like if you've enjoyed this episode, leave a review relating to your experience listening to this masterclass, and I look forward to reading them. And supporting the show is just, I'm grateful. For me, I love creating content that can help people with their sports career development. But now I want you to take down what was your biggest takeaway from this masterclass and how you're going to apply it to your sports career development. I mean it. Straight off, listen to this, write it down, and then put it into action and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote. This is from Lauren Thinkner. 
where she said sales comes down to understanding people and having the confidence in the product you are selling.